Hello and welcome to Date Your Ego, Marry Your Soul podcast. I'm your host, Serafina, and I am an ego and soul enthusiast. We can no longer be strangers to our egos and how they function. So come and join me as we find out why and how this philosophy of dating your ego but marrying your soul is true and useful for you. In this episode, I turn my inquiry into the parent trap on its head and look at it from the perspective of adult children. Depending on their journeys, adult children can find themselves grappling with feelings of resentment, rage, and consequently regret or worry. And on the other end of the spectrum, fear of loss and an inability to do justice to the demands of aging parents. Whether your experience has been positive or negative growing up, how do you stay on a soulful path in the wake of such challenging emotions? To shed light on the subject and teach us, I have with me a gentle patient teacher, Elma Posel. Elma is a craniosacral therapist and filmmaker from London, England. And today, he joins me from his big boat in West London. So without further ado, let's listen in. Elma, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm, I'm well, and I'm absolutely delighted to be uh, on your program. I'm really, I love the idea and intention behind it. And I have found just considering doing this very, uh, very rich, interesting, and um, yeah, a nice thing to be thinking about doing. So thank you. Oh, it's an absolute honor to hear you say that. Elma, could we start by learning a bit about you and how you would describe yourself? Thank you. Well, I work as a craniosacral therapist and a filmmaker. Um, I've been interested in therapy and filmmaking for a long time since I was, well, since I was a teenager, really. I learned meditation very early and always been interested in both of these uh, parts of life. And within all of that, there's been a, there's a specialty or a specialized interest in birth or the psychology of birth. How did we, what did we learn from birth? And what is, um, can be learned from how we were born? And uh, how can we heal from some of those, uh, from some of those experiences? So my, that's really my kind of, Interesting. When I was when I was seventeen, I went to hear a wonderful man called uh, Dr. William Emerson speak, and I think he really he really kicked off for me this this sense that you could inquire into your earliest experiences and heal them. There's a sense in which I'm carrying around my origins are are alive and well in me in the present. How my life has shaped me the way that a rose growing rose tree growing in a garden might grow in particular ways because of the sun and the wind and the soil you know mm-hmm. how i've grown mm-hmm. has got a whole kind of shape to it and it, it, therefore in the present i'm actually carrying all of the influence and impressions of 
the, of my experience. And it's, it's and to the degree to which it's alive in me, it, I, I'm, it's, it's a more question of how conscious am I of it. <laughs> it's, um, I, I can have a lot of influences in my life and, uh, Many of most of them, a lot of them will be actually very benign and fantastic and just supporting me. And then there sometimes can be events which were so difficult that they almost had to be put on pause until a time at which I could resolve them. Um, that's a kind of, I think, a very human capacity to put things, you know, put them on the, put them aside until they can be coped with. And, um, in a way, the therapy journey is creating situations and conditions where the things that had to get put aside in order to get through the early life experiences can can be reevaluated or looked at or shared or and you know brought into integrated is the word can they can they be integrated into my into my current life in a way that then those experiences become truly useful for me rather than a kind of um a drag right and i use the word like drag like an anchor <laughs> an anchor is something which is has an energy of its own which is is telling a truth an early experience that's got something to say so the therapeutic environment is often a question ideally creating conditions where those can safely come to the surface and be integrated Wow, all of that sounds so interesting, and we're going to touch upon it later. But just for listeners, could you tell us what craniosacral therapy is? Yes. I mean, what a pleasure to be able to describe craniosacral therapy. So my, my work with craniosacral therapy is in a, in a kind of strand of that work, which is called biodynamic craniosacral therapy. And... Really, the craniosacral therapy is a process, is a therapeutic process where we come, uh, the client comes into the, the, the clinic or the, the treatment room. Um, we have a little conversation they, about what it is they're looking for help with. It could be an aching back or it could be that it's just life is stressful or it could be any number of things. They lie on the couch. I, by negotiation, put my hands on their body in some place, like on their feet or under their head, under their sacrum, by negotiation somewhere that is appropriate. What I'm doing as the practitioner with biodynamic craniosacral therapy is really listening with my hands for how health is manifesting or what health is doing in that person. So biodynamic craniosacral therapy proposes that health is always present in the, in the body, in the system, in the human organism. And what I like about that model is that it's very contradictory, contra to an illness-based treatment program. So much of the much medicine and so forth is based on people being ill. And what I like about the craniosacral model is that we're really listening for what the health is doing, what the health is handling. It's a bit like we, we, 
we handle life. Things come towards us, things that are sometimes easy, sometimes spectacularly difficult. But human organisms find a way to 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 take what happens. You know, so I like to use the metaphor of um, of somebody throwing a a baseball or a football or a hard cricket ball at me. If I, I, I have to actually kind of do something in order to catch that. If it's coming at me at speed, I have to do something. I have to do something with my body. And if if we imagine the cricket ball or the baseball as a bit like a life event or a, an overwhelming experience or a particularly difficult experience, our bodies have to want to stay in balance. We want to stay upright we want to keep the show on the road we want to keep being humans we want to keep being family members we want to keep looking after our children we want to look after our parents we want to keep the show on the road so i like that model because it, what what we do in our bodies in the cranial model is we we actually center we create a little center which keeps the balance going we call that a fulcrum right so a point of balance, and so it might be a little tension under my left rib, which with that little bit of tension, little bit of holding, energetic holding, it means that I can continue. I can continue to, to, to work, I can continue to live, I can continue to breathe. However, what tends to ha- can happen is that we just end up with so many of those if we're in a society such as we are, which is really quite a, um, an intense society with quite a lot of uh, high adrenaline experience going on, you know, crossing the road in, in a city can be a, a, an adrenalizing experience. We don't actually get to repair. We don't actually get to settle, to, to, to go to the place where that kind of repair can be shrugged off, can be moved through, can be released. And so... Biodynamic craniosacral therapy is about listening for the health in the system and what it is doing to hold these these fulcrums and supporting that release, which happens when when the body feels truly safe and truly at rest and truly like it's not having to do anything, it will start to repair. And that's really what the work is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Can you pick up on stuff that can warn us about health things that are going to happen or is there that element to what you do the aim the aim aim of the work my from the model that i've learned and i practice is really for the for the practitioner to really not be a not be not be something that the client is having to center so what that means is that as people we are endlessly we deal with life we we have as i said forces incoming you know whether it's a relationship or it's a car crash or it's a environmental problem or whatever we have forces which we have to handle the aim of the practitioner in biodynamic craniosacral therapy is to be sensitive enough to to what's going on to not be another thing that the client has to deal with <laughs> not be a problem but in and quite the opposite be a clear enough space that the system can truly rest because it's not 
because it while it's in relationship with another person which is like which is like all of life really always in relationship to somebody it's in relationship in a way that isn't something they have to handle and it's very healing for relationship to to exist which is not a stress mm-hmm. not, not a dynamic in a way you could say that a lot of therapy is is that a lot of therapy is is a situation where there's enough space in the practitioner that the client doesn't have to handle them and and of course the abuses of therapy might be where of course the client does have to handle the therapist uh, and it, and it becomes you know more problematic so so that's the I think that's what I would that's what I that's what I enjoy about that work is that it's the thing is to truly get out of the way but be present mm-hmm. and that's quite a rare experience mm. wow my intention is always to be in relationship in such a way that I'm not the thing that they have to handle and when we do that what happens is that the the client system has its own plan <laughs> for what it needs to work on next, what it wants to release. We, we actually call that, in, in, in the biodynamic model, we call that the inherent treatment plan. And what we find is that when the situation is with the practitioner is sufficiently supportive and the, the client is not having to, is relational, but the client is not having to handle the therapist in the normal way of handling relationship, what happens is that the the client's own system starts to get to work with what it's busy with and what it can release now. It's a very nice model because it's not about going into the session with this idea, okay, you've got a sore back. What you need to do is release your back. That It, it might be that you're the big toe on your right foot was broken <laughs> and that you've been holding yourself in a funny position for a very long time <laughs> and that if we can release the funny position holding the back will straighten itself out i mean that's a kind of it, it, it's a lot of examples like like that where it's the the but but the but what is worked on comes from within the client it, that's the idea is that they have a plan within them i have a plan as a client within me about what can be worked on and what needs to be. Mm. And that's very much dependent on the situation with the therapist. I will only come up with things that can be handled in this situation. It's, um, it, the, 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 the human organism is extremely intelligent, extremely sharp. And what I like about the model is that then things that do come up can be integrated. So, so they're not, you're not trying to unearth some ghastly piece of history in order, you know, because you think you have to deal with it. It's more like what is ready to be integrated. Wow. Okay. So what I really like about what you're saying is that you're actually calling the client uh, an empowered organism who can, you know, an empowered individual who can actually figure out their own stuff. And you're just an enabler, really, to let that power come forth. Wow. So, I mean, I do want to come back to so much of that, but, you know, this season I have focused on parenting and the parent yeah. trap, which I like to call the parent trap, one of the ego traps, I feel. Mm, um, yes. And in this episode, I wanted to 
really get to discuss, you know, the bond between parents and their adult children. Mm-hmm. A lot of the season has been based on, uh, has, has discussed birth and has discussed the love and the care and how that sort of figures. But we haven't really got to grips with what happens when we grow up between us and our parents. It is one of the most influential connections of our lives, you know, the ones we have with our mother and father. Would you agree with that? I do. Uh, I I do. I do very much, yeah. Mm. And I'm also, you know, given that, drawn to discuss the upbringing of an individual. Mm Because I think culturally, sometimes certain cultures you don't get to be close to your parents because of the way the society is structured. Even sometimes certain classes of society, you're not supposed to be emotionally Mm. available to your children and vice versa. Do you think that the strength of this bond that, that just exists when someone is born between a parent and a child, a mother and a child can be influenced so deeply by culture that we can become unaware of it, you know. I mean, so, so I had a thought about what something, uh, there was the line when you, when you asked me the question about doing this, I had a line that came to mind, which was comes from some teaching by somebody who's, um, as it happens, is one of the kind of inspirations of the uh, biodynamic craniosacral field, a, a man called Franklin Sills. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a wonderful book called The Being and Becoming. In that, he speaks about how we are relation-seeking beings. Mm. So if I just maybe say a little bit about that, because I think it relates to what you're saying very much later. Mm-hmm. So he's got this fantastic thing, which he says, a being, I'm just reading a little piece here, is the center of sentience and awareness in the midst of self-constellations, the heart of I am which is naturally relationship-seeking. So we are naturally relationship-seeking and provides the necessary continuity and coherence for a centered and responsive sense of self. So we come in and we are looking to to connect and create relationship. And that, that, but if I just carry on, we are interconnected at a root level to all other beings. It is this basic interbeing that energizes an object relation seeking. Early developmental experience, the infant mother relation, relational field and therapeutic process in general can all be understood in relationship relation to this archetypal being-to-being connection. This is the main line now. We seek other beings to know our own being. We seek other beings to know our own being. And what I like about what he says is that we we come from, if we say that at core health, we are I am, we are one with all life, then, and we are interconnected, as he says, at a root level to all other beings, then when we come into life through our mother's relationship to our parents, the fathers, we, we are looking for connection because it's true. (laughs) 
at a base level. It is true. We are we are relation-seeking beings. We seek other beings to know our own being. So what when we come into life and we then have these experiences of these people who are our parents, uh, you know, there's all kinds of experience then that happens which can be creative, destructive, insane, delightful, joyful, full of love. You know, we are we are love looking to connect to to to, to know itself. I just really like the way he says all of that stuff about um, we we seek other beings to know our own being because from my own experience, the the relationship with my parents, you know, had a series of fairly drastic interruptions to that relationship. You know, um, mm-hmm. I know you've talked about birth before, but certainly from my understanding of my own birth was that I was taken away from my mother at the point at which I was most expecting to connect to her. So that, that that's the kind of experience which sets off a kind of um, what can be a lifelong, can be a lifelong impression, you know. So as an adult, I have to deal with i've been dealing with the 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 imprint of of a pattern uh-huh. from a very early experience but i've been dealing with it as an adult um with my mother with my father right so i don't really see that there's a kind of i, I see that it's all it's all one <laughs> how i am with my fa- father and my mother now is is so related to, to, to the very beginnings of it. it. It's not. It's it's all part of the same thing. Does yeah. that make sense? Yes. No. Of course it does. So thank you for sharing that, Elma, about your own life. I have had not the similar experience. I actually did try and examine my birth, and I wasn't ex- told, given all the information about what happened. But yes, being taken away from your mother when you most need her as a child certainly is something I'm not a stranger to. My mother had to spend long periods of time away from me when I was just a little girl and then again when I was a teenager and then again later on in life. And the impact it's had on me Mm. is something I only sort of became aware of or wanted to examine when I realized that I had become a bit of a machine going through life. Um, There is, what I'm getting from what you're saying and what I've just shared is there is an underlying narrative that we aren't either aware of or we tend to ignore because, you know, we don't have time to be made aware of it that is determining how we're living our life, the choices we're making, the people we're meeting, the partners we're choosing, the jobs we're choosing, how we spend that time. There is this underlying narrative, isn't it, that is based on this connection with our parents. Yes, I, 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 th- I think it's something that, that, again, is to do with the present moment. It's what's helpful now. It's not like, because I think it, it could be a narrative that we've all been messed up as 
babies and that there's no hope. And that, that's a very common misconception, I think, of the insights that, that are really available through, through, through serious or inquiring therapeutic work, which for me, the best models of the therapeutic work are the ones that stay completely in the present moment. If I'm doing okay in my life and things are okay and I'm happy and everything's just going along, then there's no there's no need to sort of there's no need to look into history. It's it, if history isn't bugging me, but if I become aware of a kind of recurring inability, shall we say? It wasn't to, until my see, ego recurring had played its part in determining what it is I needed to do, and that I was at an age connecting that with another where person in relationships. You know how to understand I find myself really not what believing that what I have to offer is serving me is precious to them, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Then. That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I'm interested. You know, that's like, oh, well, that's interesting. Why did I, hmm, what, what is it that I believe about relationships? And, and where did I learn it? You know, where did I learn it? And of course, I was thinking, before, and of course, we learn it from our parents, but because they were the close ones, but it could be an uncle or an aunt, or it could be anybody. You know, we learn these things. But I was thinking as I came towards this, uh, it's called how it's it's a sort of what's the word absolutely hopeless idea to sort of come forward and say that you know anything about parenting (laughs) (laughs) because being a parent is like this constant teaching of being having having my own dark corners of or shady corners of um my own psyche thrust back in my face and in a way, that's the job of the child is to is is to really optimize this this opportunity. This is this is where human evolution steps forward. Is how we parent and how we are parented. You know, there's always these opportunities to kind of step past our conditioning and um, mm-hmm. do something better. You know, do something differently from how our parents did it with us. You know. So that, that that comes back to the adult, the adult child of you know the adult child and the, and the, the relationship because yeah. for me that the whole experience of you know being an adult has uh, uh, with my, and in relationship to my parents has had much you know different ex- different times some great difficulty great bitterness great suffering you know kind of resentment against the parent for for years and really incredibly unhelpful thing to do holding a resentment against a parent for a situation that i thought they should have done differently i have found to be an utter waste of time yeah. <laughs> i'm glad you said that yeah i mean really but it's it's but it's and at the same time it's so understandable it's like um of course, you know, who else are you going to blame, you know? But, mm. but, but it's somehow the process of holding the resentment is, is an own goal. And that, that is, in a way, the, the, the relationship of the child to the parent. It, it, it's, when I've held those resentments, they've kept me away from my parent, the parent concerned for years. And 
but in the meanwhile I've been kind of angry and upset it's also meant that in a weird way I've been investing in the problem I've been yeah exactly exactly oh my god that's so true yes I'm just I'm just so uh sorry I didn't mean to interrupt oh go on no no exactly yeah but I think yes wishing that your parents would do things or would have done things differently than they did is such a waste of time and as an adult child you have that opportunity you know you have that real opportunity as a human being to choose a different path from what you almost directed to choose uh because it isn't always the case that parents behave like parents uh it is often the case that adult children find they have to parent their parents yes and um uh, yes trying to examine the why and the how and couldn't they do it like this like that is a total waste of time um and i, I spent a long time in can i sorry interrupt yes you? yes of course of course well I, i think it's speaking to what you're what you're saying i i it there was an i had an experience where i was in a very excellent the thing an excellent therapist for a long time a while a few years and after about a year and a half she said you know there's not really much for me to do here <laughs> you're not really allowing me to help you and it was a very interesting thing and really i think the experience of of being a child of parents who separated and all of those things early or not that early but you know Early, did you say early did you say early but but yes early or uh, when i was a teenager or early teen meant that i'd become very self-reliant and um, yeah i i'd so much so that i would do the therapy myself <laughs> yeah you spend time with one and you think the other's at fault and, um, and you spend time with the other and you think oh no so actually in I'm a way wrong. the therapist couldn't get in the end, any, you know couldn't really, get a, a word in edgeways and there wasn't anything and, to and be angry way, about and so the healing instruction me was to really really allow myself to be supported and in doing so allow myself to matter to somebody and mm-hmm. to feel that and to learn that my, what i was offering the love that i was bringing was received and so that was as an adult in a therapeutic relationship but it it had an enormous influence on my relationship then with my my one particular parent you know my mother in this case but the, if the dynamics of of the child are not are not really you know loved or supported as i get to you know basically i get to parent myself mm-hmm. uh, and be the parent to my own inner child and that that is a very profoundly maturing step <laughs> for me mm-hmm. well i had quite quite a similar experience mm-hmm. myself and so i um totally relate to what you're saying i i think the reason i wanted this episode to be about adult children is yes. because there's a lot uh of people out there who feel this way about their parents and i think all of us have our own unique way of expressing it you know mm. some of us 
become people who can help others with similar situations. However, there are people who become people who need more help as they become more self-destructive. So I think at some point of my journey, and now I'm 38 and a parent myself, I've come to realize that even our parents, as beautiful and as intimate our bond is with them, even our parents are merely human beings. You know, Uh, it was actually one of the therapists I had when I was a teenager who made me realize that I was placing my parents on a pedestal. And that's what was causing a lot of my own angst and, and, and pain at at that time. But I, I, I immediately said to her, you know, well, we grew up in a culture where parents knew best. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, yes. and we relied on them completely and we obeyed them completely. Yes, which, which can no doubt have its upside because you get to be a child. However. <laughs> However, exactly. Yeah. However, you don't get to express um, your pain. And I was privileged. So I, how could I have any pain? Right. For me, it became more of a journey into self-inquiry and that sort of started my own spiritual quest. But yes, I think it's really great all of this has come up now because I I, I have here a question that says, hmm. why is mummy daddy angst the most angsty? <laughs> and I feel it's because of this, there's this unconditional element to the love shared between parents and children where... Hmm. You are looked after and cared for, regardless of what you do. But I think as children, we don't realize that that will be asked off of us as well. Mm. And not necessarily by our children, but maybe by our parents. And that isn't okay with us because we want to be always just looked after. The, the, the stage of maturing gets derailed because uh, as a child... It, it's possible to be thrown onto one's, um, you know, if we get, if suddenly the parents all kind of dissolve and start to be behave like children themselves and kind of expect sudden adulthood from the child, there can be an incompleteness to the growing up, which then is endlessly, in my case, you know, looking for, looking for the parent that's disappeared. You know, mm. where, where did they go? <laughs> Those people were here a minute ago and they were doing okay. And then something happened. And uh, and so then I spend a lot of my life looking for and being angry with those people, um, which which then, you know, it doesn't really. So, so then the question is, how do, if I'm looking for that from people, then uh, in relationships and marriage or looking for the the parent who disappeared perhaps or with, with acknowledging the earlier echoes of the birth experience or whatever then in a way we have to there's a, there's a good friend of mine who um made a statement which i think is very true he's very funny he said anybody who's lived to the robert holden he said any anybody who's lived to the age of 30 has enough evidence to be miserable for the rest of their lives. 
so it's like so to so then you know so then then there's a choice so then you know um how what am i doing what what am i doing with myself what's what's my attitude to these gods these goddesses these giants these you know these unimpressive people whatever you know it's like i have a choice and i think my my best experience of it is has been to choose to come to stay in relationship it was to choose to come back into relationship luckily with my parents you know rather than sustaining the resentment and luckily you know i had parents who were after some years of intense distance willing to, to know enough about themselves to bother bother to come back into relationship and that that has been terribly important for me so i i, I had a very good relationship with my mother as, as she was um, she became unwell and she died two three three years ago but a very good relationship ultimately and also was able to really release her as well which was very important and, and i still have a, a a good i have a good relationship with my dad which i'm really grateful for you know and i'm just so and and the the, the thing that you you asked about was 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 forgiveness and that that i do think is the kind of core well i can speak about my experience of the the healing that i needed to do with my mum yeah uh, that you were uh, able to release her yes well i yeah so if i go back a bit further even it was the i had this experience where what i realized was that my core wound with my mother mm-hmm. was one of not feeling that my love was received right so my i experienced her as ambivalent towards me that basic experience manifest as an adult in experiences of feeling that you couldn't really welcome me or celebrate me or in a, in a way just enjoy being in my presence always this feeling of some odd need of hers for that there was a problem and i the healing for me has been to realize that she was had her own wounds and profound issue of being around <laughs> being human being. and i was i and i had this very strong experience that when i expressed love to her she couldn't really receive it so then i was very confused and this was compounded by an experience an early experience of at birth and so the the thing that really helped me with that was to 
was to really be in a safe therapeutic environment where I could undo that, where I could have an experience of somebody who did stay with me and did receive my love, did receive my presence, and uh, I could release that the, the, the resentment or the fear that my love wasn't received. And that, of course, makes a huge difference, not only to the relationship with the mother, but also then the relationship with, with other people. Mm. In a way, I think the core of that, that kind of healing is in a way, is, is a forgiveness. Is what, sorry? It, it is a forgiveness. Is a forgiveness, yes, yes. It, it's a fundamental it's a fundamental choice like we were talking about before how the the, the joke about well they're not joke um, anybody who's got 30 is a reason enough to be miserable for the rest of their lives um, well I, I yeah sorry I was just uh, I, I read something today from Carl Jung that said uh, everything before 40 is research so. That's right. And what's so what's so interesting about that is that um, that fits very well with the, um, the the Steiner Rudolf Steiner philosophy and the biography model, which which has that everything up until forty two is really preparation for our life purpose, which kicks in around forty two. Wow. And uh, yeah, so everything is it's it's a fascinating. Um, for the seven-year cycles that, that come to 42, everything is indeed research. And, and what's the one, one of the wonderful things about the when the, when a Steiner school's really cooking, they're, they're, they're doing work with six-year-olds in anticipation of what's happening for when the person's 45. And um, it's absolutely wonderful. <laughs> yeah, to have that level of... Um consciousness and awareness of human being they're nurturing is wonderful i think you mentioned the forgiveness thing so if maybe it's helpful as a as a thing for your listeners to to just touch into the forgiveness process or forgiveness model that i think is which which i which i can i can share about so the forgiveness model that I have been, I've, I felt like I've understood, partly comes from A Course in Miracles, the uh, metaphysical text, A Course in Miracles, which really proposes that, that 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 is our purpose here, is to forgive others, is to forgive our, in the language of the Course, forgive our brother, forgive our sister, forgive everybody. <laughs> and forgive everything. Something you said there, Elma, I just wanted to ask you a question. It seems to me that where there's extreme love, there can be extreme guilt and therefore resentment. Um, Let's talk about how forgiveness can keep all of that nicely balanced. When we talk about, remember earlier on, I spoke about how the, we we were relation-seeking beings. Yes. Always want to seek. We seek other beings to know our own being. That is really 
is a bit like saying that in truth we are we are connected and we are endlessly seeking each other to, to connect with each other in order to know to know ourselves to know to know what life is as a whole when i get caught in resentment or uh, and as the course in miracle course in miracles talks about it i get caught in it's in essentially a sort of separation i create a story that i am not connected to life and that can have a very basic grounding in in shocking experiences of separation from parents or terrible experiences with people and you know it's like i can make a very convincing story that i am not connected to life life is really hurts and i'm nothing you know bad news so um however so can i just i really want to understand this so yeah. we read a story that tells us that we are not connected to life and the reason you say that is because when we feel disconnected from life when we're hurting is that right well it it it's um it can be very convincing you know that the that this the separation is true if i have an experience where i'm betrayed or left by a parent or somebody who i love mm-hmm. my love is profoundly not received or i'm not seen or my presence is not acknowledged or i'm not welcome then i i have a pretty good story and actually the story that i make up about that experience is a very good way of dealing with that situation i decide that people are not trustworthy all right well that's helpful that got me through that situation great mm, mm. and it's very it's and i mean it's truly reasonable <laughs> but what, what is the alternative right. i mean uh, yeah what, what so, is so, in, in that situation what yes. is the alternative well the, the in that situation it may make sense to decide that people are not trustworthy but in consciousness in choice what i found really helpful is is to practice forgiving forgiving that person or that situation because the more i invest energy in their failure as i perceive it the more it becomes my failure it becomes it becomes more real in my life so if i continue to invest in what i saw as my father's betrayal of my mother or betrayal of us then you know how long am i going to do that and actually what it does is it it just puts energy into that story mm-hmm. i i actually am therefore creating um by putting energy into it i'm con- i'm conceiving of a of a problematic situation um dynamic and i'm investing in it mm-hmm. so that all that does in my experience is is creates the thing i don't like and so the most useful method i've found is to forgive the person or situation and the way that i've really found that incredibly helpful is through the method that i've learned through my from my colleague binny dansby with whom i'm teaching the course 
our first thousand days uh, a diploma in applied pre and perinatal psychology in London. In in that course, we, we, we learn a lot about how, when it comes down to it, the, the forgiveness is that is a really <laughs> is a really good way to go about it. <laughs> it's it's. And so the, the model that, that works is, that I've found that works, is, is to imagine the person with whom we have the, the beef, the resentment, the, 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 the problem. It, it becomes, it's done well as a meditation, but the principle is really great. Imagine that person in, surrounded by light and after I've managed to get them to be present in surrounded by light, I um, imagine what it is they need the most right now. Mm. What is it that this person or situation or even organization needs the most right now? So I've immediately put myself into a position of being able to supply what it is they need the most because I can imagine it. It, it suddenly shifts the dynamic and when and then then the, the thing is to imagine it like a film imagine them receiving what it is you know i know they need the most right now and this the great thing about this is it's not realistic this does not have to be real world. this is and it's not about getting your own back and giving them a good a good kicking <laughs> this is about really knowing what it is they need the most right now. Because if, as we were saying at the beginning of this conversation, we are, it, it, uh, we are, I am, we are one, mm. then my choosing to know and deliver what it is I know they need right now in imagination is real at that level of them and what happens is that by systematically paying attention to that and giving and imagining that person with what they i know they need right now i have made i have chosen fundamentally to shift the, from being a victim of the situation to being a creator mm. and that is the most helpful thing because there's a lot of evidence of people doing that kind of process a forgiving process and finding that people just start behaving differently mm. not investing in the problem I, I, I found it in my neighborhood with with people that i've struggled with i've given a lot attention to it and even sometimes i can find myself anticipating a problem with somebody and I see them on the street or I see them in the neighborhood and if I just find myself thinking what is it they need the most right now what is it and I find that even just that intention shifts my shifts my expectation so so in a way it's a choice for oneness rather than separation and that is is I think very helpful when it comes to from adult children with their parents. Mm, mm, mm. It, it enables us to connect to our parents as having needs. And, and, and they may have all kinds of reasons for the reason, way they're behaving, all kinds of, you know, historical, ancestral, cultural, 
all kinds of reasons for mm. why they do what they do. And you know, it it just takes it it takes it out of the the loop of the resentment. But my colleague Binny's wonderful interpretation of the word resentment is is resending. You you recenter thing. It's like endlessly sending an email which is aggressive <laughs> so, mm, mm, mm. so i really like the way she uses those lang that language so. mm. everything you said is so beautiful and profound however i do need to for the listeners yeah. um, listening in to ask this question yes for whatever reason we all find ourselves in situations with our parents where resentment or anger can surface by doing the meditation or following the, the process you just described mm. of forgiveness and and getting rid of the separation and feeling and feeling that feeling of oneness and creating rather than being in angst with our parents, what does our life achieve and what were we not achieving by doing this? And, and there's a very important reason I ask this question because Today, a lot of the role models in society that I've grown up watching, troubles in their childhood have always driven them to be extremely successful. Yes. And, and, and as long as they're doing that, there's a general understanding that it's cool and it's fine. It's really good if you have those problems because they drive you, you know. If they drive you and you reach this place of success and achievement, why would you? So there are two questions, really. One, by practicing the, the 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 meditation you suggested and doing, seeing the person receive something rather than being angry with them, mm. how does our life change? And two, if we have followed a path where achievement has been the result of the angst we felt, why change? Yes. So the first question is, is how does my life change if I forgive? Yeah, it, I mean, what, what, what happens? Yeah, okay, I forgive you, fine, bye. <laughs> yeah, but if, it, if it's, oh, I forgive you, fine, fine, then I'm not really forgiving them. <laughs> I haven't really let go. It's like I, I, I'm, you know, um, I mean, that is the classic difference between different kinds. I mean, but I, I think to answer your question, my, my sense of what happens is that I am freer forgiving this person means that i'm just freer to choose you know if i can release imagine them receiving what it is they need in truth then i'm freer to to not have to be constant you know like um my son does um sometimes does these things uh, on the computer where they fly between planets on a space program and um he's always talking about gravity assist which is where the spaceship spins close to a to the planet and uh, gets a gets a bit of a spin and it means that we just have a bit more choice about whether we want to stay in the gravity of that particular problem mm, i see i see do i want to be pulled to that planet over and over again my parent my parent who did this to me or did or didn't do that to me do is that my orientation in my life or is it something i choose and so it's a way it's a 
very powerful way of enabling this my, my more choice in my life and and if i if things have worked okay you know maybe i it's like you do hear of people who have had unbelievably difficult ex- early experiences but they've just kind of got on you know they've they've, they've not been messed up but you know they've been messed up but they've somehow found a way to to succeed and choose to succeed and i don't know if there's a problem with that that's great <laughs> look into anything if they don't want to you know i'm i'm definitely one of those people that Mm. the problems i face drove me to achieve more rather than not um and for me personally following uh this path of awareness i would say of uh of discovering my my ego and my soul has been has been a rewarding experience in a completely different way. Whereas earlier I was achieving and I was uh, financially getting somewhere. Hmm. And yes, of course, socially and mentally and intellectually. But now I find that as I've gotten older, what I've needed, my own self, is the comfort of, of appropriate people around me, of hmm. appropriate vibrations, of of the right kind of places to go to the right kind of books to read and and all of that comes from a a synergy you know a sort of flowing of energy in you and in your environment and i think that's what forgiveness achieved for me right um like it allowed i i if i think of the people i was born amongst and i think of the people i'm surrounded with today my my journey has been has been huge. Yes, it's a completely different setup. Yeah, and and I think I I wanted to use this episode to sort of highlight what you just described. You know, mm-hmm. that you 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 choose to go from victim to creator. Yes, and, and that's the empowering bit of for adult children, really. Yeah. yeah. Um. And I like the fact that you use the word film to describe it. And since we're, we're running out of time, I wanted to ask you about whole being films. Could you tell us a bit about it? So, so I've, I've always worked in, um, I've always worked in film and television and uh, been interested in worked and learned in therapy field. So whole being films is really putting together the, uh, the two things. So I, created Holbeing Films to be a place where people could get access to recordings of this great therapeutic, um, great therapeutic teachings and um, things that I like. <laughs> and uh, and that, that seems to be um, quite, there's been quite a lot of work over the last few years of uh, trauma healing people doing conferences and recordings of the incredible proliferation of teaching that's come in the last few years around healing trauma and really you know this kind of how we've got this society which can quite easily fall into being quite traumatic for people and uh, of course the Mm. therapists the therapists are the ones who hear about that first and um how do you work you know how do you support them and I see the work as really supporting the therapists who work with the clients to um, to heal. 
Okay, I yeah. see. So it's it's sort of all interlinked, so to say, your therapy work and your creative work. Yes. Okay, wonderful. And I need to ask you, does the show's title resonate with you at all? I, I really like, you know, this this inquiry into you, what, what it what it how it does resonate is. I really like this inquiry into what the ego does, and 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 I I feel like the um, the thing that, that that touches me is this the the in the course of miracles the ego is the is the bit which is the kind of construction or, or in the buddhist it's the self in buddhism it's the self it's the the, the construction we make mm. out of dealing with conditions <laughs> stuff that happens it's what we put together and then what we kind of use as our our guiding light you know to, and and the thing is the, the therapy world, the, the craniosacral therapy, for example, and, and the forgiveness work and the work with Vinny that I do is really about connecting with, with the health that lies beneath, the health that's always there, the health that's at the core, um, and the truth about who we are, which is this, as Sil said, the, the I am, the connectedness with all things. And so... That's where they all kind of join up. So, so the, and the ego is, as I said, I've said it. The ego is the is the construction and the defence and the protection, and the therapy is to create conditions where we can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, I I kind of find that I found that the ego is very important in assisting our growth, right. and that the growth is driven by um you know where our soul is and it's it's in in its journey and where it's going to but the ego is quite essential to that it's just that it's pull um the ego's pull on our consciousness is so strong you can often reverse the two (laughs) especially as the world gets more sophisticated on the outside it's easy to get distracted um but you no, know, thank you for speaking to that. Now, I just, I do want to ask you a quick question about healing birth. You did touch upon this earlier. Yeah. Uh, what drew you to this? I mean, obviously, you've had your own journey as a teenager and as a child. But what drew you to healing birth? Well, I, I think I had this idea as being the personality that I am. I had this idea that if you could just really get back to the the beginning, the bottom of things, get underneath all the rocks, get to the very, very base level of things, then it should be possible to to get to the bottom of it, to understand it, and then that would lead to some freedom. And my initial inquiry was really led by this idea that um, there's somebody to blame. There's really, really somebody to blame. And if I could just find out who that was, then we'd be all in a good place. So. I think in truth, I was actually just actually curious about what was, I'm I'm curious about what was true about me that that may have gotten confused at the very beginning of my life. Mm -hmm. It was framed as a a blame game. (laughs) Mm. And um, over time, I've realized that the best way for me to hold it is as a a, a healing metaphor. It's the birth 
process is an enormous creative act. It's the biggest, most incredible creative act that we may ever be part of, either as a parent or as a child. And um, that, how that went or how that goes is such a great way of thinking or exploring how we do all the other creative things in our lives, whether it's parenting or it's making a movie or it's writing a book or just making friends. You know, it's like such an incredible way of looking at all of those ways we come into relationship, how transitions go for us, you know, going from here to there, getting new jobs, I don't know, whatever. All of that has such a core resonance with that birth experience because it's such a creative act and also i think for me just there's something really powerful about really celebrating the importance of the birth experience which has gotten so sidelined into medicalization and women being undervalued as mothers and uh yeah just it's just like people go into it sometimes so underprepared it's like they they would never go into a big business meeting as underprepared as some people go into birth <laughs> i just just really think it's so important um to pay real real attention and it and it's and it's properly challenging you know because people's uh, we all, you know, we've all had our own birth experience. We were all born in the way we were born. So how we were born is our information until we do so- about how to do it, until we discover something about our own experience, about how we were born, and find, you know, some truth or choice in, in it for ourselves. So if my experience was that my love wasn't received, then I'll carry that around until I inquire and, and explore what it, where it came from. And it means that then I can become a more useful parent if I can understand that my core, if my core understanding of my birth was that my love wasn't received, then I get at least a bit more choice in how I do it as a parent. Um, yes, yes. And I know about it. And, and it's, everything you're saying is about having choice at a very important, deep, fundamental level, isn't it? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's yes. very in, it's, it's intricate work. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Can I ask you what your self-care routine is? You're doing all of this therapy and holding space. No, I, mean, I, I, go, I go for craniosacral therapy myself. I have somebody I see sort of now and again for a burst. Um, sometime I was in therapy for really great psychotherapy for about, about three, three and a half years and then stopped that a while ago and, probably will pick find and you know go and do something like that a bit again at some point um i meditate a lot i like to walk and just you know the discipline of running the course i'm doing with binny binny dansby is means that we get some supervision and you know we we, we take care of ourselves and and uh, talk so mm-hmm. i think um could you tell us about the course and where it's being run yeah, and so the course is yeah. is called our first thousand days, a diploma in applied pre and perinatal psychology, which is really a way of saying it's an opportunity at a personal development and professional development level to inquire into what these core messages of life that we are living by are. And if we, are, if we know what they are, 
do we want to work with them and see if there's an alternative or uh, you know the point being that if sometimes I might have um, a, a negative statement about life that has come out of my early life, like my love is not received, then if I live by that, then that's what I will tend to create. Knowing about it means that I can really work with my love is received. It's not about replacing, it's not about kind of denying the, 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 the experience. It's more about the, if I had an early experience where my love wasn't received, it's not about pretending that doesn't exist. It's more about saying, okay, in the present right now, if I give energy to my love is received, what will happen is that all that is unlike that statement, my love is received, will just arise into awareness and it can be released. And that then is really exciting because then I have a whole lot more choices about how I come into relationship. And that works for people who are both doing the self-development aspect of the course and and then, of course, it's a professional thing because then that's a, at a very basic level, that's dead useful when you're a counselor or a therapist or you're working with people every day. Because if I know at a deeper level that my love is received, it just means that my relationships are simpler. And it means that people are, I'm, I'm more able to connect with people. And um, mm. so that that's really what, that's a very nutshellish thing. But the pre and perinatal part of the name is is really the prenatal that around the time of birth it, it proposes that that time is a is a very important organic connecting time for people and how things happen in that time then has a resonance that 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 just goes on and um you know okay and would this be this training be held in london Yes, yeah, so the the training is held in Ealing, London. Our course, our next course starts on January the 24th. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an open evening, an introductory evening on January the 10th. If you go to the website that I've included, you'll see that there is a an Eventbrite link for to come to that talk. You're very welcome. Please do get in touch if anybody's interested. It's... Um, it's a rich, rich event, and um, yeah, we look forward to welcoming people onto it. Oh, great! All right, well, well, thank you for that. I will be sure to include your email and your website on the bio, so people will definitely reach you and your work thank through you. that. And I, I think I'll just want to say thank you so much for agreeing to discuss such a sensitive subject with me. That you know, I think it's going to help a lot of people who take the time out yeah. to find out what's going on. So thank you so much, Elma. Thank you for your time. Totally, thank my pleasure. Yeah. Great, it's a great yeah. conversation. I really, really, really appreciate the, the questions and um, the inquiry. It's wonderful. Oh, thank you. Nice one. That, for me, was a very generous interview. Elma clarified a lot for me personally. Of course, it's all right to feel negative emotions towards aging parents. It's how you process them that matters and affects your journey as you move on through life. 
and as you will treat your own children and in turn they treat you. And as it turns out, it's all about how your body processes them as well. The main idea being to process and not to repress. For me, I love the bit about us being beings who seek out other beings to know our own being. It gives so much meaning to this idea of life, of birthing parent-child relationships constantly. And also, I loved the bit about the stage of maturing getting derailed if a parent suddenly disappears. It helped me understand why I have walked around feeling like I have been wronged. Responsibility and receiving are two sides of the same coin. Our one true inheritance from our parents. I hope that episode added value to your internal dialogue and until the next episode this is your host Serafina signing off with a little more love for life.